Yo, yo, what up, what up? Welcome to the WTF Should I Do With My Life podcast. I am your host, Jacob Sokol, and this podcast is all about helping you live with greater levels of success, purpose, and authenticity while being strategic about the unique challenges and opportunities that exist today. These interviews are designed to help bring more clarity, more confidence, more inspiration into your life so that you can perform better at work, in your relationships, and with any other responsibilities that you are rocking. Today's guest is my buddy, Niall Doherty, and he is the worst Irishman ever. He doesn't drink alcohol, hasn't lived in Ireland for almost 10 years, and the dude's never even seen a leprechaun. So, to compensate, Niall's traveled all around the world without flying, he helps people get started working online, and he once lived in a trailer park in New Jersey. Today's interview is just me and him jamming out and reconnecting, and we touch on a bunch of things that I found particularly interesting. One is we go deep into the story of uh, how Niall got clear that he would travel around the world for over three years. Uh, We got clear on and spoke about when it does and doesn't make sense to quit your job to travel. Question that I know a lot of us can wrestle with sometimes. Uh, We talk about a three-step threat assessment process to look at and overcome fear. We talk about the three main components to self-sabotage, as Niall explains, and how to uncover and retrain limiting beliefs. So with no further ado, let's let the madness, excuse me, let the madness begin. Here we go. Niall, thank you so much for joining us. Jacob, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to do this. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped to kick it with you. And I, I don't have a whole you know, spreadsheet of questions planned out. I'm not sure if people plan questions in spreadsheets, but like this whole extensive thing. But really what I'm, I'm most pumped about is um, just to introduce you to the Sensify community. And as I was explaining to you a bit before we hit the record button, um, you're such a great example of someone who's taken ownership of their life and consciously chose to create what you want uh, through um, through the skills that you've built, through the characteristics that you've developed, and seeing your journey. I mean, we've been connected, I think, about five years now. Uh, so mm-hmm. watching it from afar and seeing you just stay so committed to your own truth and your own path is inspiring, and I'm excited to unpack that today for everyone who's listening. Oh, yeah. Thanks, man. And and likewise. And I, yeah, we've been connected it's probably even longer, actually. It might, it might be going on six years now. And I remember we talked back in 2011, I think it was. We had a Skype call, and it was just before I took off on my big round-the-world trip. But, yeah, I always got that that same energy from you, like someone who just goes after what they want and, and doesn't settle for, for, you know, good enough. Yeah, right on, dude. Well, let's let's talk more about your trip. because So I remember I have a different... Uh, visual visual in my mind. I remember we were at the World Domination Summit and <laughs> maybe it was 2011 and uh, we were sitting outside of some food trucks on some benches and I was like, so like, what's, what's cracking in your world? And you're like, well, I've decided to, you know, travel around the world. And I'm thinking like, oh, you know, everyone decides to travel around the world who's at that that conference. And then I'm like, well, t- t- tell me a little bit more about it. And you're like, well, I've decided I'm going to go around the world and I'm not going to take any airplanes in the process. And I'm like, oh, wait, that's a little bit different. And I'm also going to go for three fucking years. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's totally different than anything I've ever heard before. Um, so... Like not to ruin the story here, but w- w- was that actually the case? Was it three years, and was it around the world with no airplanes? Yeah, so I I started in Ireland, and I went east. So I'm I'm from Ireland. I should tell people that I went east through Europe and through Asia, across the Pacific, through the Middle East actually as well, and uh, up through the Americas, back across the Atlantic to Ireland. So Ireland was the start line and the finish line. Took in total, 44 months, so just over three and a half years, and I passed through 37 countries without taking any airplanes. Wow, dude. So take us back to before all that. Um, I often wonder when people have these epic stories that they tell of these insane journeys that they've gone on, 
like how did they come up with the idea to do something like that? So for you, like where did you come up with this idea? And especially it wasn't like you were saying like, hey, I'm going to go traveling for a few months. Like you, you actually said ahead of time, this is going to be a three-year thing. Um, how did you come up with this this big plan of yours? Well, I should actually take it back a good few years uh, before I started traveling a, a quote-unquote digital nomad. I was working a regular nine-to-five job in New Orleans in the U.S. And I landed that job um, because I, I wanted to go and live and work in the United States, specifically in New Orleans, because that's where my favorite basketball team played. So I had this teenage dream uh, when I was obsessed with basketball of um, living and working in the city where my favorite basketball team played. They were the New Orleans Hornets at the time. They're now the New Orleans Pelicans. And I wanted to have season tickets for the team and go to all the games and just be like a, a super fan. And so when I was 25, I made the leap, uh, left Ireland, went to New Orleans, got a, a, a university there. I worked for university as a web designer and they sponsored my visa. And that was, that was a pretty difficult job to get. Like, it, you know, it's easy to visit the United States being from Europe, but to actually stay there for any significant amount of time, you need to get a visa and you usually have to have an employer sponsor your visa. And so that, that, that was quite difficult. What year but was I that? Made, so it would have been 2007. Okay, got it. Two years after Hurricane Katrina, actually, in New Orleans. Um, so, yeah, I went over there, and I just lived that dream to the max. Like, I, I, I started going to all the games, got my season tickets. I started a website about the team that then became affiliated with ESPN, and then I got a media credential and was able to, like, go to all the games for free and sit courtside at the media table and go into the locker room and interview all these players and coaches. What? Yeah, it was just like all out living the dream. Like if my teenage self could have seen me, it just would have been like, oh man, you're my hero. <laughs> Holy shit. So how did you, now I want to go into this story now. So like what was, uh, what was the biggest obstacle for you in making that happen? Uh, I think the, big, the toughest thing was just the persistence it required because I first went to live in the US when I was 22. And I lived in, I first went to New Jersey. My first experience living in the United States of America was in a trailer park in central New Jersey. Sorry about that, bro. <laughs> well, actually, it was the best summer I ever had. <laughs> I take that back. You're welcome for that. <laughs> so I was working at Six Flags Great Adventure. And they just packed all the international workers there into a trailer park right beside the theme park. Uh, but because there was like 200 internationals there, it was just this kind of college atmosphere. And the accommodation sucked. I mean, we were living in a trailer park, but it was a bunch of cool people. And you'd walk up and down the like three little the three little streets in this trailer park. And it was like, you know, traveling around the world in five minutes because, you know, the Polish would be in this trailer. And there's a bunch of South Africans over here. And there's wow. a bunch of uh, Romanians and Hungarians there in Australia. And, you know, there's just people from everywhere. And. It was just a, a, a melting pot and party central. And I used to be very, very shy when I was uh, a teenager. And moving there when I was 22 really helped me overcome my shyness. I kind of just threw myself in at the deep end in a new situation, new environment where I didn't know anybody and just forced myself to swim, basically. But so that, that was my first attempt to go and live in the U.S. for a good length of time but I was only on like a, a, a seasonal work visa. And then I went to Vermont for a winter and worked as a ski resort there. And all the time I was trying to get down to New Orleans and try and get like a long-term job and a long-term visa so I could be close to my favorite basketball team, so I could stalk my favorite basketball team. Um, and I, that, that didn't happen because I just didn't have the qualifications or the education that a company could use to give me a visa. They couldn't justify giving like a non-college graduate uh, a job, you know, because they had to, the way it works is usually an American company has to prove that there's no American willing and able to fill the position before they can offer it to a non-American. Mm, got it. So I, I basically went back to Ireland 
and I had done two years of university and dropped out. So I went back and finished university and was just like a man on fire trying to like get as good and as qualified as I could um, with multimedia and IT and web development. And so I went through two years of college, uh, finished top of my class and then started just applying like a crazy person for every job I could in New Orleans and writing letters to people um, down in New Orleans who might be able to help me. So I think the hardest part was yet yeah, just persisting for really three years to make that dream happen and just, you know, some t- at, at certain points realizing this isn't going to work. I'm going to have to like take a few steps back before I can get where I need to go. Got it. I love it, dude. That's, I feel like we could do a whole podcast on that, on that season of your life, but I know that you brought us there to take us forward into how you came up with this idea to, to take the big trip. Yeah. So that whole experience really just reinforced in my mind that I could kind of do whatever I wanted to do, or I could just, if I wanted to make a dream happen, I could make it happen. Dude, it's, I feel like it's so important for people to have some micro experience of doing the unrealistic. And, <laughs> yeah. and I say, I say micro experience because it doesn't need to be this like huge, like I'm going to go travel the world for three years or I'm going to go get affiliated with ESPN and be a super fan. But like even, you know, it can be as, as simple as like even dating someone who you find who you're really into or mm-hmm. having a, a lunch with someone who, you know, is an author or a blogger that you really like. Like there's I, I early on, maybe about the same time we first connected, I had this experience where I got uh, Gary Vaynerchuk to take me to a Jets game. Yeah, and it was so this was 2010. I think it was so unrealistic to do this thing. It was totally you know, impossible by all, by all kind of of the different sanity lenses that you would look through that I needed to kind of become a little bit insane or unrealistic uh, or um, unpractical to do it. Mm. But what it did eventually when it panned out was it like built this, it changed my reality as far as what's possible. And it put this, this muscle inside of me of like, oh, you can do the thing that 90% or 99% of the world is going to tell you you can't. And mm. that like just opened up a world of possibility for me to authentically create a life that really mattered to me. And the other side of that is like, it's not always going to work. Like there's for every, you know, one time that I g- achieve something that's unrealistic, I probably try another five things that don't pan out. And so it's, um, there's a whole... Uh, way to navigate that where your self-worth isn't on the line where you can still have fun in the process um, but yeah just you inspired me with uh, that big takeaway for you because I remember it's been a few different points in my life when I've had that experience of like wow I can really do some shit that other people are saying is impossible and living life through that lens it's just it's you know it's super empowering it, it's so important it really is and I, I think everybody has an experience like that in their past. There's a, if you look back hard enough, there's going to be something that you achieved. And again, you, you even said it could be something very small uh, that a lot of people told you was impossible. And then, you know, you just got to think, well, if I was able to do that, why not this bigger thing or this other thing that I want to do that people say is impossible? And like you said, you're not always going to succeed at it, but there's, there's a chance. You know, you might, as, you might as well try because there's a, there's a chance you will succeed. Yeah. So thanks for graciously allowing me to interrupt you. Uh, but, but you just, you said, okay, so that first experience or that individual experience really, uh, put something inside of you that made you realize you could go for what it is that you really wanted. So take us forward from there. Yeah. So I was living and working in New Orleans, living the dream, um, going to all these basketball games, writing about, uh, these 10 guys chasing a ball around a wooden floor <laughs> that was kind of like the center of my life for a while and I was very happy with that uh, but after doing that for a few years I kind of just got a little bored with it and was thinking is there there must be more more than this like do I really want to spend the rest of my life writing about basketball and you know surrounding myself all the time with basketball watching all these games and like basketball, I, I still I still love watching highlights and everything. I was actually like watching some NBA highlights on YouTube before this call. That's my little kind of uh, guilty pleasure. Mm. But 
yeah, I just decided I, it shouldn't be the center of my life, especially because a sports team is something I have no, no control over. And I used to see a lot of people getting very, very upset when the team lost and they would let that affect their emotions. And I just thought that was not a good way to live. Like you, you know, if you're, if you're completely dependent on something outside of yourself to make you happy, like whether a sports team wins or loses, you you know, that you're just completely at the whim of, of, of something you don't control. So I kind of fell out of love with basketball and I started looking for something else, something that would be a bit more meaningful. And it was around that time that we started to see all these people online writing about location independence and being a digital nomad and working online and traveling the world. And I was kind of looking for the next challenge. And it seemed to me that travel, which is something I hadn't really done, I'd just gone and lived in the United States, which isn't that much different to Ireland, really. Um, so I, I saw huge opportunities for growth there and self-employment. So uh, working for myself, building a business, I saw, again, there are real big opportunities for growth. So I, I decided to uh, to try and do that. And I, I thought to myself, well, I'll, I'll do a big trip around the world and I'll build my business. And that would be amazing. And then I asked myself, how could I make it even more interesting and I'm not even sure where it came from, but at some point, I, I think it was actually on the way to the World Domination Summit that you mentioned, which was in 2011. Uh, I think I was on the airplane or in the airport there on the way. And you're like, I've, I've, had, enough, I've had enough of airplanes. I'm done with airplanes. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't even that. And I, Honestly, man, few people appreciate flying as much as I do after being around the world <laughs> without flying. Whenever people complain, I'm like, did I try taking a bus for 32 hours? See how that feels. <laughs> Uh, but I'm not even sure where it came from. It just popped into my head. Like, what if I tried to do that without flying? What if I tried to go all the way around the world without flying? And it just, it just stuck. It was one of those things, you know, sometimes you, you think of something, you have an idea and it's like kind of scary and it sounds ridiculous, but that's how you know you have to do it. <laughs> you have to follow through. Mm. It, was, it was one of those ideas. So, uh, yeah, I just, um, decided to run with that. I figured it'd be more adventurous. I'd end up in some random countries I wouldn't otherwise visit. I figured it would be a good challenge rather than just hopping on a plane everywhere to see if I could get from like A to B to C and all the way around without taking any airplanes. Like I think, you know, the way to, to grow and the way to learn is to challenge yourself. So I like that aspect of it. And I figured it would make a good story as well. It would be something interesting to write about and make videos about online. So that's where it all came from. You know, I love this frame of it would make a good story. And <laughs> uh, I think there's the abstract kind of looking at your life as a whole and then uh, assessing and analyzing what decisions make sense based on like, well, could this make a good story? And I think that's a, a cool experiment to play with just looking at life in that way. And also, I mean, from a business perspective or from a, I want to follow you on your journey perspective, that's the name of the game. It's like, how do you create a story that's worth coming back to each week so that um, people, people are intrigued. They can learn with you. They can go on this adventure. And it's a question that I'm, I've asked myself for quite some time and I continue to ask myself as I build my business. So I, I love that, uh, you took the scary, ridiculous thing and like, you know what? I think this would make a good story. I'm going to go for this. Yeah. And it did, it, it turned out good. I mean, it was challenging. It was an adventure. It did make a good story. I will say that it was harder than I thought it was going to be. And if I had to do it again, well, I wouldn't do it again, but if I had to start over, I probably would have planned less time for it and tried to build up savings before I went, and so I wouldn't have had to work as much while traveling. Huh. That's what I would do different. Interesting. So uh, let me ask, before you took the trip, what was your biggest fear? About the actual trip itself? Yeah, 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 yeah about the trip. <laughs> um, probably running out of money. Uh, I thought if I ran out of money that, well, I, I might, I might just get stuck somewhere or uh, I think a big part of it as well was just the embarrassment of it. Like if I was writing about this and saying to everybody, Hey, look at me, I'm traveling around the world. You should follow my journey. And then I end up like 
broke in Bangladesh somewhere, like living in a slum. Like, you know, I would just feel like an utter failure, especially after leaving behind this good job I had in New Orleans and this 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 comfortable life that I had. So I think it was that was the biggest fear. But I actually I remember running through an exercise to to handle that fear, you know, of uh, kind of just figuring out the worst case scenario and would I actually be able to handle that. And when I when I sat down and thought about it, I thought, yeah, I mean, worst case scenario, I might have to just like work for ten dollars an hour online, which was you know way less than what I was worth than my skills were worth. But I thought, you know, if I have to just hustle and put in 50 or 60 hours a week and make $10 an hour to get back on my feet, like I I can do that. Like that's not so bad. And that's way better than not trying at all and living with the regret of not having tried. So was the exercise that you did to look at your fear and then say, okay, what would be the worst case scenario if this were to come true? Yeah, exactly. And then how would I handle that? And this is actually something I have an online course where I help people start freelance online freelance businesses. And one of the first things I have them do is a, is a threat assessment. So I ask them, like, you know, you, first they clarify what they want to achieve. Say it might be, oh, uh, three months from now, I want to be earning a thousand dollars a month through my own business. And then I ask them, what are what are the biggest threats? The three biggest threats that could derail you that could get in your way and actually have them think about you know oh well i'm working 40 hours a week at my regular job so i mightn't have enough time and that'd be one another might be um that they don't have enough skills they don't have the right skills to work online that might be another threat and then i have them like say okay so what can you do to mitigate that threat what can you do right now up front to mitigate that threat so if they don't have, if they think they won't have enough time, it's you know what what other commitments can you let go of to free up more time? If they think they don't have enough skills, it's like okay, what can you actually start learning or studying now to ensure that you have the skills it will take to succeed? So I think actually just sitting down and running through that exercise, like what's the worst thing that could happen, and then how can I mitigate that threat, is really really powerful. Mm. I love that. And then even if it were to occur, how would I be able to handle it? Right? Like that's the other part is like that I've, I've found in my own working through some of my fears, like, okay, so what is it that I'm afraid of? And let me actually take a good look at that. Um, mm. How can I minimize the likelihood of this occurring? And then if this were to occur, how could I recover or get back on my feet? And I think the, the magic of that is that, you know, anxiety comes from what we don't know multiplied by what we can't control. Chip Connolly talks about that in his book, Emotional mm-hmm. Equations. So, so it's basically uncertainty multiplied by powerlessness. And mm-hmm. by just getting more clear on uh, what we're afraid of, we start to become more certain because we can see it in front of us. And even by going through a, an exercise as simple but profound as the one you mentioned, we can start to reduce our anxiety because we we can take back control of those variables. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's feeling like you're you're doing something about it and you're not just leaving it to chance. I love that. So it sounds like, you know, you did have this fear of running out of money and being embarrassed. And it sounds like that was in part the challenging, most challenging part of the trip. Is that, is that right? Yeah, I only had, I think I had $3,000, maybe $4,000 in the bank when I left Ireland, which was kind of the safe harbor because that's where my family is. You know, I had a lot of support and friends there. Felt like if I stayed in Ireland, I'd be fine. Nothing bad would happen. But I love that. Let me just pause you and just say, I, <laughs> I fucking love that. I love that you had three grand in the bank because I know there are some people listening to this who have way more than that in the bank and are like, there's no way <laughs> I could do it, you know? And I know there's other people who are in massive debt right now, right? So it's, it's both sides of the spectrum. But I just love that, you know, that was your reality of like, I got three grand in the bank and I'm willing to go for it. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, I did. I mean, I took. I definitely took a leap, um, and it would have been better to have a bigger safety net. Yeah. But you yeah. know, I, I was. 
I like to think I was smart about it. In like, if I had no skills and was just getting started working online, for example, it probably wouldn't have been so smart. Like, I was confident. Like I said, that worst case scenario, I could just hole up somewhere, knuckle down, and make money. That I wouldn't just be just have no way to make money or, or just be completely desperate. So I, I had a bit of a safety net that way. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, that's applicable to all of us in our life. And it's a frame that I view my own life through is that the, you know, when we think about security, security doesn't come from, you know, a number in, in the bank. Security, number one, comes from just knowing that you can handle whatever happens. And on a real, like, breaking it down level like if you are connected to your breath you can handle whatever is happening like i was in the hospital with dengue fever for a week and they're like you know there's a chance you might die and um at like the at the most fundamental level when i just connected with my breath like i was i was all good it was all all right um but i love that you know money is a reflection of the service uh, that we're providing money comes from providing a service and mixing creativity with service and service comes from the skills that we have. If you want to be, if you want to be able to serve, then it helps to have some skills. The more skills you have, the more you can serve. And so what you were banking on is like, listen, I got some skills that I know I could be of service with. And as a result of that, I'll be able to make some money. Sure, it would have been nice to have a bigger reserve in the bank and I can so empathize and relate to <laughs> the jumping because you're like, fuck it, I'm going to go for it. And now when uh -huh. I coach people, I'm like, you know, they're like, oh, look, Jacob, like you just left your job with no big plan. And I'm like, you know, uh, <laughs> it's not that I wouldn't suggest doing that. It's just that I might not suggest doing that based on <laughs> your situation. Like, let's look at your situation. And I, I was, yeah. you know... I was just fucking going for it. I was like, listen, it's got to be better than this right now. And so it wasn't so smooth and graceful. And I learned a ton through, you know, banging my head into the wall, falling down, you know, just fucking up. And when I coach mm -hmm. people, I'm like, listen, there's ways that we can avoid uh, you going through those same things. And, uh, and so it sounds like you've got a bit of that also in you. Like if I were to do it again and or consult somebody <laughs> else on how to do it, it'd be slightly different. Yeah, actually, the biggest thing that I would advise someone if they kind of want to just start their own business and travel, what, what I learned is it's, it's not that hard to run an established business from the road, like assuming it is a, you know, a, an online type business um, that you can manage through your computer, like with a laptop and an internet connection. It's not that hard to run a business like that from the road, but to build a business like that while traveling is difficult. And that's what I try to do. Like I didn't really have any freelance clients um, doing freelance web design. I didn't really have any clients before I set out. And so that made it much harder on me because when you have like a, you know, some clients who send you work consistently, like not having to actually go out and find the work online, like that's what takes a lot of time and energy. Whereas if you just have clients, established clients that are just sending you work consistently, that makes it easier. Then you can be like, okay, cool. I, I'm going to go here for a week and then the next month I'll spend in this country. And you don't have to worry about where the work is coming from. Interesting. So it's the difference between building versus maintaining. It's easier to maintain. It takes less resources to maintain than it does to build or create something from scratch. Yeah. A good analogy, I think, actually would be getting in good physical shape. Like it can be a real struggle to kind of get there, to get over the hump and to like get that those six pack abs or that flat stomach. Which we both once, have. Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like once you get there, it's not that hard to maintain it. You know, you just put in a little bit of time and effort every, uh, well, ideally every day, but you don't even need to do it that often, like three or four times a week once you get to a certain level. And that's that's really all you need to do to maintain. And I think the same is true with an established business. And I think that's actually something that a lot of people miss with the four-hour work week, the book, which is a great book and there's a lot of great lessons in there. But I've always been amazed how many people miss the fact that Tim Ferriss had a six-figure-a-year business at the beginning and then he four-hour work week 
that business. Then he cut it down to being like a business that he could run for four hours a week. He didn't build that business in four hours a week. He built that business in like a hundred hours a week for years. And then he, he, he cut it down to size. So building the business is the hard part. And that's not something you can do on like a, you know, a travel schedule or four hours a week. Mm, that makes sense. You know, a lot of people, uh, I think who are, well, let me start that sentence over. I think a lot of people want to, you know, have this fantasy of quitting their job and traveling. Um, when do you think that makes sense? I know you speak with a lot of people and who are, you know, have aspirations of traveling. Um, and when do you think it makes sense for them to like leave their job and travel? What, what, what do you notice in that conversation? Mm. It is, it is different depending on the person. Um, a lot of it depends on their risk tolerance. Uh, some people really like that steady paycheck and just are very hesitant to, to, to work for themselves and have that, those, you know, income going up and down. But, um, Hmm. What would I say to those people? Ask me that question again, Jacob. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about why I ask it. I asked the question because I was one of those people who was like, listen, I've had a taste of travel and holy shit, it rocked my world. I need <laughs> more of that. Now, really, when I look more deeply at what it was that I was craving, it, it wasn't travel. It was the things that travel connected me to, the parts of myself that travel connected me to. It was the mm -hmm. fact that I got to live with a sense of freedom. It was the fact that I got to grow and learn in an exciting way. It was the fact that I got to be more myself because I wasn't surrounded by people who already knew me and expected me to be a certain way or environments that I needed to show up and be a certain role in like an IT guy or even like a son. Uh, and I just got to be whoever I wanted to be in that moment. And so people who taste travel often think that it's the answer to their life because when, when they travel, they get to express those parts of themselves. And I think it's a misconception that I see often is that you need to travel, you need to quit your job, you need to travel in order to, to live connected to the parts of yourself that are most important. When actually you can grow your character, you can grow your consciousness and um, see the blind, your blind spots in a way where you can become that person now. You, you can build yourself up to embody the things and live the life in alignment with the values that really matter to you without needing to travel. And then you can choose to travel because it's fun and exciting and like I love to travel also, but not as like it's, it's the fix and the only way I can finally be uh, free or connected to myself in the way I'm inspired to. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I, I, th I do think some people think travel will solve all my problems. Whereas what really happens is it just gives you new problems <laughs> because, you know, just it, it, all the logistical stuff, um, all your kind of insecurities can come out. Uh, you learn a lot about yourself. That's stuff that's not always pleasant. Um, one of the places I had a hard time was India. I found India was a tough place to feel like a good person because you're constantly surrounded by poverty and people asking for help and you can't possibly help them all and you feel bad saying no to people and then you feel bad for feeling bad because you're the lucky one and you have to deal with all this these emotions that are coming up and deal with just the privilege that you have and the guilt around that so there's there's a lot of that stuff that comes up when you do travel and you have to be willing to uh, to, to face that and walk through that and like i said before i think travel is an amazing opportunity for growth. You just learn so much about yourself by putting yourself in all these different situations and surrounding yourself with all these different people and all these different cultures. And you can, like you said, you can try on these different ways of being, uh, which was a big thing that helped me overcome my crippling shyness, really. I was the shyest person I knew when I was a teenager. But travel really helped me overcome that because I would put myself in all these new situations and nobody knew me anymore as the shy guy. So I could kind of try on these different hats and these different ways of being. And, and travel is great for that, but it certainly doesn't solve all your problems. And I do think that without travel, you can live in such a way 
that you kind of have the spirit of it, you know, of like just looking at things with fresh eyes and looking for adventures in your hometown and trying new things all the time that just get you looking at the world differently and looking at yourself differently. Mm, nice, dude. Well, I know that um, we were talking, you know, earlier and we still are about people choosing to make changes in their life and choosing to create what it is that they want. Um, one thing that I know you spend time thinking about is self-sabotage and how people get in the way of creating what it is that they're inspired to. Maybe you can bring us into that conversation. Yeah, it's something I've been thinking a lot about the last couple of years. And I'm actually doing a workshop about that uh, next week about self-sabotage. And, and the reason why is that nowadays you know, we all have access to the internet. There's so much information out there that information really isn't the problem anymore. It used to be that if you wanted to learn something or do something, finding out how to do it, like getting the information was the difficult part. You usually had to like get access to a top university or access to uh, an, an expert who had that information and you had to meet them face to face, for example, or take a class with them or pay them for their time. Nowadays, most of that information is online and free. Uh, so it, the crazy thing is that even though we have access to all this information, I don't necessarily think everybody's achieving more of what they want to achieve. So there's, there's something else there that stops us achieving our goals. And I, do, I think that the main thing is, is self-sabotage, that we, we get in our own way. Um, and I break down self-sabotage into three different forms i think there's three different forms of it so one is procrastination so we kind of know what we should do but we just don't do it for various reasons uh, the second i think is overwhelm which is kind of the opposite of procrastination but somewhat related as well which we can, can get into but it's you know we're so busy and we have so many balls in the air that we never get around to doing the thing that would move us closer to our goal. It's just like, I don't have time to work out. Or I don't have time to work on my business, whatever it is. Um, so procrastination, overwhelm, and I think the third is limiting beliefs. These often unconscious beliefs that we have that hold us back. For example, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve to succeed. I, I don't have enough skills. I'm too old. I'm too young. Uh, nobody would hire me. You know, all these different types of things or there's nobody like me out there doing the thing I want to do so what makes me think I could actually do it and again a lot often these are unconscious beliefs so we don't even know that they're going on in the back of our heads but they're actually holding us back from achieving what we want to achieve nice and um, so when you uh, see someone who's you know experiencing uh, these well let me ask which do you think is, is most common Ooh, uh, I think actually everybody suffers from all three quite often. Um, I certainly ha suffer from all three and have suffered from all three. Um, I think the most, uh, I think the first two people can more easily identify with. Um, and it's usually one or the other that's very strong. So they either have plenty of time and they just can't make themselves sit down and do the work or can't make themselves get up and exercise, whatever it is. You know, they'd rather just watch Netflix or spend time on Facebook. And before you know it, there's two hours gone or a whole day gone or a whole week gone that mm -hmm. they could have spent working towards their goal. So I think that's a very common one. But also, you know, the, the other end of that is people who are just busy, busy, busy all the time. And uh, This is why I say actually overwhelming is, is kind of a form of procrastination, because I feel like sometimes we just keep ourselves busy with lots of different things that aren't really that important to avoid facing the scary, important work that we know we should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. So take us into the third thing, the limiting beliefs. So um, in, in my experience, this is where I go when, when someone is, well, that's not always true, actually. It's one of the places I might go is to look at their beliefs and to look at, you know, what is the, the thing underneath that's causing the mm -hmm. behavior instead of the actual behavior. So when someone, when you're supporting someone who has some type of belief that's getting in the way, I'm not enough, I'm too old, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, how, do you, how do you help someone with that? Well, the first thing is to try and uncover the belief. 
because as I said, often it's very unconscious or people might even realize it, but not realize how big a deal it is or how much it's affecting them. So there's a few different ways you can do that. Um, what I've used myself most is uh, free writing. So I like to actually sit down and kind of have a, a conversation with myself in writing. And it'll, it'll be basically me asking myself questions, kind of a self-interrogation. And be like, okay, so uh, why haven't I achieved this? Or, you know, what do I want to do? Why haven't I got there yet? Um, is there anything I, I feel might be getting in the way? Why do I think that is? And I'll just try and go back and forth and just go deeper and deeper and uncover layers and see if I can get to, oh, it's because I don't feel I deserve it, you know, or whatever it is. So I try and uncover that belief. Some people do better instead of writing is to actually talk it out with somebody. That can be uh, another way to do it is to just go back and forth with someone who's a, who's a good listener and can actually just ask you those kind of probing questions. Uh, another way can be mindfulness meditation to actually you know, sit quietly and just be aware of your thoughts and try and recognize any self-defeating or limiting thoughts that come up in your mind and trying to catch them there and be like, ah, that's what I keep saying to myself or that's what's, that's what's holding me back. So those are some ways I think you can identify them. Um, is there any others that you've, any other ways that you've used to help people identify limiting beliefs? You know, I think language is really indicative of the belief system. And so I'm, I'm just really hyper-conscious of people's language when I coach them. And it might just be one little word that seems totally innocent, but it's in the sentence and I'll just pick up on it. Like, I should do this. And we just, I'll look at, oh, well, why, why the should? Tell me about where that comes from. Um, so I do that. And then I'm also paying a lot of attention to people's energy when they speak. So um, they're, they're like, oh, yeah. So like, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on this project and I'm going to write this blog post later and they'll just be totally numb about what they're saying or just like it'll be monotone and i'll just be like oh well like why do i feel zero excitement from you about that right like and to them they don't realize it they're just communicating about it so um so that's another thing and then for me i'm, I'm also interested in um i could keep going i could list probably a dozen ways right now i'll give you two more that come to mind uh one is i look at their um their childhood uh, uh, primary relationships. And I like to look at um, whose love they uh, they sought after most, their moms or their dads, and then look at the relation, like who, who did they need to be in order to get that love from that parent. And that's all, often how they develop their personality and their compass of what's morally right and morally wrong, which is like it affects and who they're allowed to be, who they're not allowed to be. A lot of beliefs get created that way. Um, and I said I was going to give you one more. Now I'm going to keep it there. I think I'm going to keep it there. Uh, not because I can't remember the next one, but just because I just want to keep you guys anticipating. So we'll keep it there. Yeah, I think that's really the value of actually having a coach, whether in a professional capacity or just like a friend actually talk you through that is we're so often unaware of our tone or our energy level or the language we use. So yeah, those, those, those points you brought up are, are spot on. So I was going to ask you, so, um, so let's say you uncover one, like, Hey, I don't, I don't deserve this thing. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, what do you do with someone once, uh, or with yourself once you notice that it's there? Well, I think most limiting beliefs, once you identify them, it's not enough just to identify them. Um, and it takes, it takes time to reverse a limiting belief. Most of them anyway. I mean, if you didn't believe elephants existed and I brought you to the zoo and showed you an elephant, like, you know, that, that, that relief is go that belief is going to get reversed pretty fast. But most of these limiting beliefs we have, we don't have like very obvious, uh, contradicting information that we can show ourselves. Like if we don't believe that we're good enough, it's not like someone can show you a chart or a picture and be like, no, you are. Look at this. And you're like, oh, yes, I am good enough. Mm. <laughs> it does, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. It takes time. So there, there's a process that a lady named Byron Katie has in her book called Loving What Is uh, that I think is, is, is about as, as good as it gets for, for reversing limiting beliefs. And what she does is she goes through four questions and a turnaround 
it's called. And you can do this yourself, although I do think it would be more powerful to, to have someone run through it with you. So the questions that you ask, uh, maybe we could actually have an example here. If, um, say, if uh, the limiting belief was, um, I'm not, uh, say, nobody would hire me. Say that was your limiting belief. It's like, I could go look for a new job, a better job, but nobody would hire me. Well, let's, 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 let's use this one. Donald Trump shouldn't be president. <laughs> All right. How, how uh, timely. <laughs> All right. So if that's your limiting belief, that Donald Trump shouldn't be president, um, the first question to ask yourself is, is that, th- is that true? Yes. And <laughs> yes, right? So I, I'll actually run through it with you, Jacob, right? So is that true? Donald Trump shouldn't be president. Part of me says yes, and, and I'm, I'm, for everyone who's listening, I'm playing around here a bit. Uh, <laughs> I'll stay out of my my larger view of um, you know the world is unfolding, etc. And uh, hold on, let me re say that sentence. The the universe has a plan that is and, and an evolution that is larger than our individual capacity to comprehend. I'll stay out of that conversation right now. But yeah, for this sake, like Donald Trump shouldn't be president. Sure, yeah, it's true. He shouldn't be. Okay. Second question is, can you absolutely know that that's true? Can you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that is true? I can't know beyond a shadow of a doubt, but it feels super true. Okay. So there is some like little wiggle room there where maybe you could be wrong about that. Yeah. I mean, hell would be frozen over, but it's possible. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that that's basically what you're looking to get to is like, you're trying to see that now most things, almost everything really is not a hundred percent true or false. Right. So third question is how do you react when you think that thought, how do you react when you think Donald Trump shouldn't be president given that he has been elected president? So how, how do you feel? I feel, um, I feel a sense of like injustice. I feel a sense of, uh, maybe fear or, or worry or, um, the constraint. Mm. Okay. So all, all like these tighten, this tightening feeling. Yeah. Okay. So fourth question, who would you be without that thought? If you didn't have the thought that Donald Trump should not be president, who would you be? How would you feel? I would feel lighter. I would feel more at ease. I would feel like everything is as it is supposed to be. And that would, uh, that would be nice. Mm. So you, it's pretty obvious how that thought is affecting you. Right? Yeah. How, how it's making you feel. Okay. So those are the four questions. And the next part is the turnaround. So the way the turnaround works is I ask you to reverse that belief. Donald Trump should be president. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> no, someone is going to pull the audio from this interview <laughs> and then just like put Facebook ads and start sponsoring. Yeah, okay. just loop it. It'll become a meme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. So that's the reverse, okay? The reverse of that belief is that Donald Trump should be president. Now, the question to ask yourself there is, would that serve you better if you believed that? It it might, right? Like if I had, um, if I didn't lose sleep over it, if I didn't get all worried or anxious or fearful about it, then it, it could, it's possible it could serve me more. Yeah. Well, I mean, given that he's going to be president, if you actually believe that he should be or get more behind that belief, then you're more in line with reality, mm-hmm. right? Instead of just kind of banging your head against the wall, like, no, he shouldn't, no, he shouldn't, no, he shouldn't. But he is. So yeah, no, yeah, it's yeah. not certain. Um, so, By- Byron Katie's work's fascinating, guys. Uh, you can you can just Google YouTube videos of Byron Katie the work, and or even if you go to her website, and she's got a bunch of videos where you can see her. I mean, me and and Nile are kind of half. Uh, we're, we're going through the actual steps. He did a great job of leading me through it, and I'm kind of half joking as I use a Donald Trump example. But you can really <laughs> see how this comes into play for people, for all of us. Uh, it's something. These questions are stuff that I'll use in my coaching from time to time, uh, and it's, it's just powerful. So you can actually watch the work, is what it's called, Byron Katie, the work. Uh, you can watch her do it on YouTube. Yeah, there's actually a very good example on YouTube. Uh, uh, she's um 
at a conference and she has a, a lady stand up and that lady's limiting belief is I need a boyfriend. And she runs through this process with her. And it's, it's kind of like magic when you see Byron Katie do it. Um, but the, the point I want to make just to end that, to wrap that up, is that, again, it's not like you don't run through four questions in a turnaround and you're like cured. It's like, ah, no more limiting beliefs. I, 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 Donald Trump should be president. I do deserve that job, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, it, it's not that fast because limiting beliefs are very ingrained. And again, they're, they're unconscious. And you've probably been saying, them, saying a, a limiting belief to yourself over and over and over again for years. So it can take a while to work around that and to reverse it. So this is a process that it's good to go through regularly, not just one time and you're done and you're, you're, you're better. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, you kind of do need to revisit it and keep you know, telling yourself the new message, the more empowering belief over and over and over again to combat that old limiting belief that you used to tell yourself over and over and over. It's a great point. The way that I see that is, you know, our, our, our brains, uh, there's neuroplasticity, which means mm -hmm. that we can mold our brains and that they take different shapes over time. And so the more that you have one thought, the deeper this neurological structure becomes. And uh, by default, your brain is more likely to go there because this one is more developed. So what we're doing is we're actually taking our mind to the gym. It's like we're training our mind to orient itself and to create this new, more empowering structure that we can send our thoughts down and send our consciousness down that uh, aligns with what we want and what we want to create and to kind of get out of our own way. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for walking us through that, Niall. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, dude, and so um, we're we're almost there. Tell tell people who are listening, you know, if they want to continue to follow your journey or connect with your work, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Best way would be through my website, which is ndoherty dot com, and probably just best if you have it linked up because it can be a bit of a an awkward one to spell. Um, but yeah, my website, I have my blog on there. Um, links to my Facebook page and my YouTube. <clears throat> and if you jump on my mailing list, you'll hear about my the course that I run for anybody who's interested in getting started working online, building an online business so they can work from anywhere and travel and set their own schedule, all of that good stuff. And also, if you're on my mailing list, I send out a... Uh, I'm one of those people who kind of overshares a little bit <laughs> online. So for the last... Six years now, I've been recording everything I earn and spend and putting up a monthly finance report on my website. So if anybody wants to see exactly how much money I, I make online and then how I spend my money living, you know, most of the past year in Amsterdam and Berlin and now in the Canary Islands uh, in Tenerife, you can see all that stuff there again through my mailing list if you sign up for that on my website. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, thanks for having me, Jacob, man. This was fun. Homeboys and homegirls, thanks for rocking with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, then you're going to want to check out the Inner Game Immersion. It's a 10-week process where a select group of people join me in playing full out and becoming the best versions of themselves. Through an uncommon mixture of comfort zone challenges, mind training techniques, heart opening exercises, productivity hacking practices, energy optimization tweaks, accountability systems, and world-class coaching, you'll have the tools and support to grow more in these 10 weeks than some people do in 10 years. You can find out more by going to playtheinnergame.com. Playtheinnergame.com. All right, yo. Talk soon. Peace.